Welcome to the Work Revolution podcast, where we believe, in fact, we know, there's a better way to work and live. And we are here to challenge the status quo of obsolete workplace practices and ideas about leadership. I'm Lisa. And I'm Deborah. Along with you, our listeners, we're evolving our thinking about what it means to belong, innovate, and create change at work. Join us as we dispel the myths of meritocracy, hierarchy, and other bullshit practices that get in the way of all of us harnessing our full potential to make a better world. Welcome back to our listeners. Today, Lisa, we are tackling a very topical topic that we're seeing written about a lot, which is the great resignation. Why are so many people at this time quitting their jobs while there is also, especially in the United States, a record number of vacancies, jobs that are going unfilled. So you and I have both read a lot of articles about this recently. Yes. If anybody's not familiar with what we're talking about today, just Google the great resignation and you're going to see tons of articles coming up about this. So there's a lot been written about it. And so we thought we would just give our perspective on this today, both having worked in various aspects of organizational design, HR, talent. Why is this happening? What do you think? Well, part of me wants to get on the rooftops and shout hallelujah, because we've needed to rethink work for quite some time. And with all the difficulties and losses and challenges people have had with COVID, there's also an opportunity here to rethink what it means to earn a living, what it means to have purpose and meaning in your life. And when I think about the great resignation, like the words, the other things that come to mind for me are the great rejection, which started off with the industrial revolution with working long hours at a fixed period of time for a particular rate of pay. And That doesn't actually apply to the many jobs that people do who now use their brains more than their hands, for instance. Mm -hmm. So we sort of wholesalely at one point decided that what worked for laborers was going to work for what we would call knowledge workers. And burnout started long before the pandemic, but the pandemic, I think, put a big spotlight on people's sense of being overwhelmed and overworked. I also think that I would call it the great reprioritization What is actually important to people in their lives now that people have spent more time with their families, they've had more time for their hobbies, the things that enrich their lives, and a big questioning as to why I would want to spend the prime hours of my day in service of a job that may or may not be contributing to my well-being or the well-being of my community or the well-being of the planet. A third one, which is my most hopeful one, which is the great renaissance, which is how can we now think about work in a way that actually makes a difference, not only to ourselves in which we're doing work that feels that we're making a legitimate contribution, but that we're taking this pause that COVID has created and we're thinking about what I would say this planet needs and how can we think about ways to bring life to the parts of our worlds that are not very healthy, that are dysfunctional, and that might be dying. So when I think about the great resignation, I think it's one way of describing a whole bunch of phenomena that are happening at the same time. Right. 
And I totally agree with you about the hallelujah comment as well. I mean, everything you said is landing with me, of course, as it always does. But I think this was a slow burn prior to the pandemic and the pandemic has both accelerated and exacerbated to some degree, these things that I'm not that terribly surprised by a lot of the things that we're seeing. And you spoke to a couple things that speak to meaning, purpose, and values, and also this idea of overwork and burnout. So, I mean, one of the things, of course, when we talk about the industrial revolution and that time frame, is that the way that work was designed then worked a lot better when you had one spouse going off to work and another spouse at home doing free labor and free childcare. That's kind of how that system was designed. What we have currently doesn't fit modern day people and certainly not the modern day family. It wasn't designed to. So that in and of itself is creating this stress and strain. So what we have is generally speaking, work is not that healthy for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are out there that love their jobs, but you can love your job and what you do and still have way too much of it. Even for people who don't work, let's say in a labor type of job where you're using a lot of your body, work is still physically unhealthy if you're sitting all day, right? Sitting is the new smoking. We've heard that term. How many people are having back issues, neck issues, developing a hump, <laughs> right? right? Like, you know, you have to go to the chiropractor, you have to get physiotherapy, you have to go for regular massages, right? Just to keep yourself upright. Developing things like carpal tunnel syndrome, right? There's still a physical price to pay for office work. We're not meant to be sitting in a chair all day. It's not healthy. The other aspect of that is the mental wellness aspect, which we are seeing so much now that's come to light in such a profound way over the past now going on two years. And again, this was a slow burn before. There was lots of talk about mental stress and burnout and all of those things. But I think this attaches to a couple of things. It attaches to you talked about the hours that people put in. And so to be successful in a career now requires put a lot of discretionary effort and it requires a lot of additional time. And I think there's two things at play. A, we know there's a price to pay for that, often a health-related price to pay. There's a price to pay in our relationships with others. And there's also just a price to pay. And well, what about just having some joy in my life and some happiness? Like our lives are not meant to be just go to work and do the minimal amount that you do to take care of yourself, like bathe, brush your teeth, go to a few medical appointments, get your kids to their stuff. If you have kids help your parent. Like that's all the bare minimum, but what about what fills us up as people and makes life worth living? Right? Like we've just really compromised a lot of that Mm -hmm. in our working lives. And I think people are beginning to see more and more that they want that meaning piece, that purpose and meaning. 
I think we could really dive into that one because to me, that is a really prime driver here. And whether it's deriving meaning and purpose from stuff that I get outside of work, but I just don't have the time and energy for those things because I'm working all the time, or it's, I want to have that in my work too. No matter how you get it is part of the human condition to want to connect to that meaning and purpose. Lots to unpack there. I know. I went on a bit of a soapbox there. I know. I love it. I want to start a bit with the mental health piece because you're absolutely right. Work has typically been designed to, whether it's in the for-profit world, to maximize the returns for shareholders. It hasn't been designed with the idea of sustaining people's mental health. And organizations have done this really interesting bait and switch around wellness, where instead of looking at the conditions of employment and what they're doing to burn people out, they're now offering wellness programs and they'll pay for your gym membership or your Calm app on your phone. So they've made it your problem. They're going to work you to the bone. And if you're suffering from any strain or sense of stress, or you can't meet your family obligations, That's because you can't manage your workload. And you know what? We're going to generously offer you some side benefits to help you with that. And I am deeply offended by organizations that take that approach around wellness because people are not machines. I've said it before, but what makes a company great, what makes an organization great, whether it's for profit, nonprofit, is the way that people come together to do something, as you said, with meaning and purpose. Now, I do want to add a little caveat to doing work that's meaningful and has purpose, because I think part of that does speak a bit to privilege. Not everybody has the opportunity to do work that has deep meaning by virtue of entrenched sexism, misogyny, racism, ableism. So there's some stuff there I wanted to mention. But the other thing is, There's this whole kind of mythology that if you do what you love, the money will follow. Well, some of the things that people love to do, our society doesn't value, for instance, teaching or childcare, the arts. And to think that these things aren't work. Listen, I've had full-time jobs that paid very well and sat in meetings and felt like tearing my hair out. And I'm thinking, why is what I'm doing worth making X number of dollars an hour versus somebody who's educating the next generation? who's making way less than I am and who's doing something more meaningful. So we've got this weird distortion about purpose and meaning and what it means to make a contribution. And the last thing I'll say on that is we've almost made it like there's a moral hierarchy. So if you were fortunate enough to do work that has meaning and purpose, somehow you're better than somebody who's just earning enough money to put food on the table and to raise a family. And I'm also offended by that idea because that, again, is put on an individual. It's like, well, if you didn't find the thing that you loved and you're not devoting your career to it, A, you're a failure. And B, if you have managed to do that as a side hustle or maybe you've decided that you're going to take the financial hit and do it, if you're not successful, well, you've also failed. So this idea that we've distorted the idea of productivity, we've distorted the idea of meaning and purpose. I find it really sad. And that's one of the reasons you and I want to have this podcast is we want to dispel some of these bad ideas or come up with new ways to think about them. Because as we've said many times, the way things are working right now at work do not work. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the things that you said that I think is so, so important when you talked about how we value different work, I'm thinking back to Mira Bronku and her talk about, you got to know the system. So this was the episode we did on being politically savvy. You got to know the system you're in. So when you work in a company, you're part of a system, but we are part of a societal system and an economic system, right? So in that economic system that we all are trying to earn a buck in and earn enough of a living to get our basic needs met, right? And then plus some, maybe earn enough to retire one day and I'll just take this one little sidebar for one moment, which is one of the things that I think is at play here in the great resignation is this realization of a couple of things. First of all, this realization that earning a whole bunch of money and accumulating a whole bunch of stuff doesn't actually make us happy. More and more people are realizing and waking up to this. So why am I killing myself for it? And so that's an aside that we could dive into a little bit more, but back to the systems piece of this. So why do we have work that is considered high status where you can earn a lot of money and we have other work that is considerably lower status and where you can hustle for your worth every day and do really important work? So this is where the pandemic, I think, has made a shift because what is more valuable to you, your accountant right now, or the person who's taking care of your elderly parents in a home? What's more important to you? Like someone who's like an investment banker or corporate real estate person, or the person who's teaching your child who is talking about the fact that they're not sure that they're actually a boy. They're struggling with things like that. Like we are going through a huge shift and change in our world at large right now. And the other thing that we know about change is that our brains are naturally change adverse to some degree. So we're hardwired to have some difficulty with change and especially uncertainty. So we're in a time where there's so much uncertainty, people are maxed out by it, right? So the pandemic has just brought on so much more uncertainty in people's lives that I think that's really adding to the stress component of it. All right. So I'm digressing a bit. So let's get back to the system piece. So you're going to relate to this because I've heard you talk about it and you touched on it earlier. How many adults do we know? who were steered by their parents into a profession, right? A real job. So you can be a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, a banker. And I've heard parents talk about this in reference to their kids. I know you've said that your parents really wanted to steer you and your siblings down certain paths as well, mm-hmm. right? One of my teenage sons just told me, so this isn't necessarily changing in a huge way. One of my teenage sons just told me some of his friends are experiencing this. So why do we do that? Because we don't want our kids to live in poverty and we want them to have status in this system that we live in, that was not designed for people's lives today. And so 
we have healthcare workers who are so valuable and yet are not treated that way in our society and are not treated that way in our economy. And why do I say that they're not treated that way? Because it's not a path to wealth for the most part. Yes, some doctors, but most people, I'm thinking of nurses in particular, who work in very difficult conditions and have a cap on what they can earn. They have to hustle for their worth from the government because there's a cap. Now, I'm talking about right now in Ontario, but this is a unionized environment. They have to negotiate with governments and so forth. Same with teachers. You mentioned teaching. Same idea, right? These tend to be female-dominated fields, and they are not appropriately valued. And why is that? Because there is bias built into our system. I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. And I think this feeds into, again, why people are resigning. Like, In a way, I think the curtain's been pulled back and we can now see some of the mechanisms that we've either been too busy because we've been run off our feet and we can't actually see who's pulling the levers and, and how it's happening. But we've also, for many people who, for instance, worked in jobs that were eliminated during the pandemic, they actually discovered that they were living with high degrees of abuse on the job, people who work in direct service lines. I mean, this is going very early in my career. I remember being either in retail or in food service and unhappy people will make it known to you, the person who's the lowest person on the hierarchy in those companies and organizations, and it's become even worse. So why would I subject myself or why would anyone subject themselves to low paying jobs with abusive owners and or bosses who don't know how to create a healthy and safe work environment? when there are many other things we can do for little to no money that have a lot more meaning. I saw this sign in a doorway. I'm in Montreal and it was in French, but basically it read, please be kind to us. We've been short staffed for the last six months. Mm. And I thought, wow, that we even have to say that the staff even had to say that made me think like, what kind of world have we created here? The one thing I wanted to add as I was listening to you talking about sort of the broader system things is the great rejection I think I'm seeing around me and the people who I know who've been working and who have either left jobs is that they're tired of the arbitrariness of work. Now, this is going to sound like a stupid example, but it's the one that popped into my head where I worked in an organization where you were only allowed to wear jeans on Fridays. And there were times of the month in which the only thing that was comfortable for me was a pair of stretchy jeans. And I remember being reprimanded for wearing jeans. I don't know. Was it a Tuesday? I can't remember. As if the only thing that made me productive and innovative was the fact that I had nylon stockings and heels on. Absolutely ridiculous, right? The idea that, you know, working from home is not something that means that you're being productive. Well, we've learned that's not the case. Productivity has gone up in a lot of fields during the pandemic. The arbitrariness of business being nine to five, The world just doesn't operate that way. And yet we've held on, or many organizations have held on to dear life to these systems of control over workers. And I think one of the responses people have had during the pandemic is to say, I'm just not going to take it anymore. This doesn't fit with my family life. It doesn't fit with my sense of values. And you're asking me to do things that maybe are going to shorten my life because of the stress I'm under, are going to make me ill. Somebody said to me the other day, 
it really hit home to them. Like they kind of got, it was a woman. And she's like, my husband and I have agreed that we're both working and we're going to have our child in childcare. But it occurred to us with the pandemic and having spent a lot more time with our kid that we were basically leaving our child in the care of other people for 10 hours a day. And she said, I felt a sense of shame that I wasn't there more for my child. But on the other hand, I would be called out if I worked any less than eight or nine hours a day. Well, I can certainly relate to that. I can certainly relate to being the person who's last to pick up your kid. And not that often. And I developed a good community of support. So I could call people up and say, ah, I'm running late. Can you help me out? And likewise, there's lots of people who I did that for. But absolutely, because often it takes two people going flat out, especially if you both want to have a career. If you're a family unit with kids and you both want to have a career, then yes, there's this rigidity around the hours and how you can structure that, which means fitting all these other things in very challenging. And people, I think, are coming to an awakening where they don't want to abandon so much of themselves in order to fit in and compromise things like their health. And for what purpose? So that brings me a little bit back to the purpose and meaning part, because if the purpose of doing that, beyond gaining a certain level of wealth where you are secure and your needs are met, and you and your family are all okay. Beyond that, if the meaning behind it is to make a billionaire richer or to serve some phantom shareholders somewhere, if that's what you're doing it for, people are rethinking that, right? Interestingly, one of the stats I read in some of these articles was that in the US in particular, entrepreneurship has significantly increased. So people saw this as an opportunity. Now, in some cases, because of the additional supports being offered, whether it be student loan forgiveness, I'm thinking about the US now because our friends in the United States, here in Canada where we are, we have more of a social safety net around some of these types of things. So some of these things are a little more relevant in the US, but some of those financial pieces, some people who are more cynical about people than me will say, well, just wait till those things are taken away. People will go get those shitty jobs again, right? They'll be forced, like as if that's a good thing. Like we want to live in a society where people have to do shitty jobs because for what? But What I'm seeing is that that bit of support gave people the opportunity to look for something better, to either fill themselves up in a way to take a course, to reassess, to go get that maybe slightly better job. There's a couple of things that I'm sort of picking up on, but tangentially, so not directly. So one of the things is you're reminding me of a theory that I learned way back when I was doing my master's degree in organizational development. This guy named McGregor, can't remember his first name, doesn't matter. And he posited a theory, essentially, I think it was theory X, and then there's theory Y that he came up with later, that people are essentially motivated, they care, they want to make a contribution, they're interested in work, 
It brings meaning and it matters. And then theory Y, and I might be getting the X and Y mixed up, is that people are inherently lazy and all they want to do is sit around and drink diet Pepsi and smoke doobies, whatever. Like this idea that- (laughs) Are you talking about me? (laughs) Deborah, you don't drink drink pop, just just for the record. There you go. (laughs) So there's these competing philosophies about sort of the core nature of humans And a lot of the time, what we see is that leaders, managers, company owners, et cetera, hold the view that people are inherently lazy. If you let them work from home, if you're not monitoring, if they're not counting how many hours of training, did they go to the harassment and discrimination training and make sure that that's on their record? Because if it isn't, then we're going to dock their pay, et cetera. When your mentality is to constantly question people and not trust them, you're going to have a view of the world in which people are taking advantage. And what I find so ironic about this is that we created political and financial systems in which people with money are always taking advantage of the rules and the regulations in order to save their money, in order to not pay taxes. And yet there's this persistent mythology that people lower down in the socioeconomic rungs of our society are inherently not interested in working, which I would have to say what I witnessed during the pandemic and people who were considered essential workers, a dedication, people working hard, thoughtfulness, kindness in the face of incredible abuse that I witnessed a couple of times. And I think we need to get rid of this idea that if you have money, it means you're hardworking. And if you have a prestigious job that you're hardworking and that if you're in a more what we would consider menial or lower paying job that you're lazy. Like this is a totally wrong way of thinking about people. The facts just don't bear it out. Now I'm going to change gears completely here and talk about something that I think is important for us to know. And you and I really believe in the science, right? We talk about neurobiology. We talk about how our brains are wired, designed, built, constructed a certain way. When I think again about the great resignation, people's brains, they're overloaded cognitively. And where we might have had, and maybe the commute wasn't that enjoyable, but where we might have had that hour or hour and a half on the way into or out of work to decompress, to listen to a podcast, maybe some people were checking their email, but the pressure was off, gave people a bit of respite. Now, when you're working from home, you're kind of on all the time or more than than we have been before. And I was just reading some research around, particularly if you have a job that is not working with your hands, like not a factory job, that basically your brain peaks at about five or six hours of work. After you spend any more than that, your brain is basically saying, I'm done. You're not accomplishing more. You're not being more productive. You're not adding any value to your organization. You're just reaching your breaking point a lot faster. And when people are now saying, I'm not going to do this job anymore, it's partly because their brains just cannot function at the level of intensity that we've been trying to squeeze out of people. And I would rather be in a world in which, again, many countries are experimenting with this in Iceland, for instance, four-day work weeks, where you have that day. Yeah. And the productivity is exactly the same as the longer weeks and the longer hours, but people are more focused. They're feeling more satisfied with the overall quality of their life. They're not rushing at seven in the morning to get a dentist appointment in before getting to work at nine o'clock. 
They're time to kind of manage your life in a way that's holistic so that when you are at work, you're focused and you're contributing at your best. I think there are some real advantages to treating people, particularly knowledge workers, as the brains that they have. And I don't just mean their thinking brains, but their emotional brains, their whole being, so that we're actually working, all of us, in ways that are healthy for us and sustainable over time. And the less that we get on that bus, the more we're going to see people leaving and rejecting what we call work. Thank you for bringing that in. I would add to that, that we really want people's best work. We want their best creativity and ingenuity, and we want them to develop to the furthest extent, ideally, that they can. And we need that because we need at a rapid pace now to do everything that we're doing better. And companies will get the best out of people when they invest in their development, create an environment where they can develop. And so part of that is understanding this piece about the human brain and what its limitations are and what helps us, what helps our brains along the way. So that piece is really important around our brains being sort of maxed out right now. So the pace of change, the degree of uncertainty is just creating a real challenge for a lot of people. It also makes it difficult to pay attention to a lot of things because like how many people have you heard say, I can't listen to the news, can't watch. It makes it difficult for us to pay attention to all the things that maybe around us we would ideally like to or feel like we should be paying attention to because there's only so much that we have to sort of filter how much we can take. I'd like to bring in another piece on the science part that speaks to human behavior. What are some primary drivers of human behavior? So for that, I'm just going to bring up the SCARF model by David Rock. David Rock is a neuroscientist. This work might be familiar to many people. Other listeners maybe haven't heard of it, but it has become quite popularized. So it's not hard to find information, I guess, is what I'm saying about this piece. So the SCARF model, it's an acronym. It stands for Status, Certainty, Autonomy, Relatedness, and Fairness. And I did talk about this a little bit in a previous episode with Dr. Carlos Davidovich on the psychology of job loss. It was, I think, episode nine. So we spoke to status. Status is a really primary driver for people. People don't want to lose status. So that's a prime driver of human behavior. Certainty, knowing what our world's going to look like tomorrow. These are the kind of things that when we sense a change, they can send us into that threat response, right? Autonomy. People just want control over their day, control over how they, some say, and this is the human condition. So this isn't about knowledge workers versus blue collar worker. Like everybody is the same in this regard, that giving up control, handing it over, letting people have a say in how they go about their work, when they go about their work would go a long, long way. 
relatedness. We need people, connection, community. We need connection. Some people less than others. I get it. Like there's people out there going, "Mm." one thing the pandemic has taught me is I don't need as many people as I thought I did. (laughs) Right. There are people Mm -hmm. who have said to me, pandemics were kind of good for me. Like I don't need to be spending as much time with as many people as I used to. And that's okay. But at the same time, I think people have maybe, even if they feel that way, they've rethought the relationships that matter. And then fairness, we're hardwired for fairness. And so when we perceive things as being unfair, that can be a real trigger. Now for different people, these things might be at play to varying degrees, right? But they are all at play. And so you can see, I think, how the pandemic's really played with a lot of these things for people. And so it would be easy to conclude from that then that there's no wonder we're seeing such a massive shift. One of the things I did make a note of that I saw in one of the articles is that quitters quit because they sought out jobs with meaning, purpose, flexibility, and choices. Mm. So where does meaning come into this? Meaning and purpose, because you said before that it's a bit of a privileged thing to think about. And when we think about getting all of that at work, I think there's just some shifts in the way we live. People go to church less. People aren't as involved in their communities as maybe they once were. I think the meaning and purpose is universal. It's just where do we get it from? And so for immigrant parents, maybe meaning and purpose is just coming to a new place to make a better future for your children. And you're going to do work that maybe doesn't bring you a lot of meaning and purpose, but there's still you're still connected to the broader meaning and purpose. And then for others, work maybe plays a more direct role in that. But I think what we're seeing is now this realization that the work a lot of us have been doing is devoid of that meaning and it's becoming more problematic. And of course, it's a privileged spot to be in to be able to do something about it. That's the part where I think not everybody's in a place to make a shift based on that, but they will still not necessarily give a lot of discretionary effort if they feel that that's not there. And so in the future of work, it's going to be a real challenge for organizations to really think about how they're connecting the meaning and the purpose piece. Mm -hmm. You're reminding me of a book that I didn't finish because I kept getting angrier and angrier as I read it. And I thought (laughs) I need to set this book down because it was so resonant with me. And this is going to cause our podcast to have an (laughs) X-rated rating because of the title of the book. So the book is called Bullshit Jobs, written by this guy, David Graeber. And basically he talks about how many jobs that we have in the current systems that we work in that are basically pointless, they're meaningless, they're trivial. Interestingly, many of them are in HR, which I laughed when I read that, but I realized was actually true. And so how do you get purpose and meaning when you're hired to do something that really doesn't make a difference that is 
I can't even think of any clear examples right now because I feel myself getting angry at the fact that there are these bullshit jobs to begin with. But that leads me to something else I want to say. And I don't know why I'm all big on the organizational development theory in this particular episode, but I do want to talk about one other thing that really touches on what you said when it comes to purpose and meaning. So Hertzberg, he had this thing called trait and factor or motivators and hygiene factors. And I don't mean cleanliness, but the things that are at play when we work. And if you imagine a kind of a line, which is the surface, there are the things below it that keep us from being unhappy, right? Decent pay, basically safe conditions to work in, some fair level of benefits, like all the things that if I have those things, I'm not going to complain, but they don't give us a sense of meaning, purpose, contribution, et cetera. So if you think about what we can have above the line, those are the things that you're talking about, Deborah, right? A sense that you're doing something important, meaningful. And I don't necessarily mean in your day-to-day work, you might have a job that is kind of okay and you enjoy it enough, But the sense of purpose and meaning you derive from it is that you can contribute to your children's education. You can do things with your life that you might not been able to do because of whether the income it affords you or the closeness, the proximity of your home to the work that you're doing. There are many other benefits or even the social benefits of work. I mean, I found that when I went from working in jobs to working on my own, I really missed the day-to-day connection with people. And now I found other ways to do it, but I got huge social benefits and connection benefits from a job. So sometimes the job itself doesn't provide you with this giant dose of like, oh my goodness, I'm doing something extremely important and meaningful, but the circumstances and the ingredients around the job. And as I look at some of the reasons why people are leaving their jobs, the pay might've been okay. There might've been these sort of the hygiene factors that were met. But the things that you're talking about, people are kind of starved for. And I think also, if I can just touch on the fact that through COVID, people have died, like people have lost family members, people have become sick. There's a sense of our own mortality as well. So I think there's some questioning about why would I continue to do work either in a situation that I don't like the work, I don't like the environment, I don't like the leadership I'm working for, I don't believe in the organization I'm working for. There must be another way to get through life. And there are plenty of examples of how people are doing that. And I'm in full support of people leaving workplaces. I mean, listen, bottom line, work should not have to be painful and abusive and you have to get through your workday. Even difficult physical jobs or jobs that require incredible emotional labor, some jobs in social work, like they can be quite exhausting, but You can have a job that's hard without it taxing you in ways in which you're exposed to disrespect or lack of kindness. Absolutely. And people will work hard at things they love to do. I'm not saying that I've concluded from that, that everybody should do something they absolutely love to do. Although I do believe that. It's just that there's so few paths to that based on what we talked about earlier about the system If your only path to financial security and status is through these narrow choices, that means that if I love music and improv and the arts and the humanities and whatever else it is that might really fill me up, that I might be able to bring a lot of gifts into the world, those things might never get explored. 
because I'm in a system that only values these other avenues. If I'm a great caregiver, it's not a path to financial security. I often use the word wealth, but when I use the word wealth, I don't mean like becoming a billionaire. I just mean having a good life, like all that below the line stuff you talked about is taken care of. When we say that we attach meaning to things or the system that we're in, it strips away the ability to find that meaning if the way you're going to connect to it is a path to poverty. So I just come back to that systems piece as being so critical in terms of, well, where do we place value and why are we placing value? And I think that the reason why the system is the way it is, is because it's based on some really archaic ideas. It's based in patriarchy and hierarchy. And the result of that is just really devaluing a lot of what people could potentially bring to make life better for all of us. Not only do we need to do things better, but we could also live in a much more beautiful world Mm -hmm. and we could live sustainably on this planet. Well, if we just didn't think that investment banking was so much more important than dance or music or whatever else or caring for people. These are all systems that we created and anything that can be created can be dismantled. And the people who benefit from the systems that we have in place aren't going to really be happy with the idea that people like you and I are questioning them. But the truth is they are already starting to crumble. Way more people are rejecting what it is that we've come to take for a fact around what it means to work, what it means to have a job, what it means to earn an income. I'm finding interesting right now, one of the things I'm hearing a lot is why aren't we posting the salaries for jobs? You'll often see we need five years of this and a master's degree and da da da. And like you're interested. It's like, well, let's say I'm somebody who's looking for a job. And then I find out at the end of all of this that really it only pays 15 bucks an hour as an example, which would be lovely if we could get the minimum wage to that in places in the world where it's not. But this over-reliance on credentials as opposed to, we want people who want to work, we want people who want to do things. Let's set all the credentials aside. If we can find ways to maximize profits for shareholders, I think we can find ways to pay people adequate salaries and give them meaningful work. We're smart, all of us, business owners, leaders, workers, people who contribute their labor in unpaid ways. There are ways to find alternatives to what isn't working. And I think that that needs to be front and center because where we're headed right now looks like it's pretty downward. And I'm heartened by the fact that people are leaving those jobs, that they're rejecting those cultures, that they're saying no, because sometimes that's the only thing that's going to bring change is by people en masse stepping away from what they've known and what we've all agreed or colluded in. Welcome to the new labor movement. That's, I feel like we are at the beginning of a new type of labor movement. And it's not just going to be a labor movement of blue collar workers. I think it's going to go across many industries 
all different levels. Because even people who have succeeded in this system, if we measure success by wealth and status, and remember, I said status is really important to people and people are afraid to lose status. Fear is what is motivating a lot of people, right? And so, of course, people are clinging to those things. But even those people, there's a lot of people accelerating at banks who would have rather studied music or one of these other things that we talked about. Um, They've abandoned bits of themselves to pursue that, to pursue that work that would be more stable and financially rewarding and have that higher status. But those people are suffering too, in many cases, because like we said, all the things we just talked about, there's a price to pay. And so I just think we're at the beginning of a new labor movement. I don't know. I could be crazy. Time will tell. That's why we're asking people to join the work revolution. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So thank you to our listeners. I hope that that made some sense. It wasn't like rambling it all over the place, but there's a number of things that I think we can dig into a little deeper as we move forward. And you can see that Lisa and I get really riled up about some of these topics. So, (laughs) (laughs) Because they are definitely rile upable. I'll just add that a couple of the things that we mentioned during the show, we'll put in the show notes. So there's David Scarf's model. I'll provide the information on Theory Y and Theory X and the Hertzberg principles. We would love to hear from you. We started our Ask Us Anything series, and we are looking for your challenging situations, the things that you're not sure about how to handle on your own or how to approach, get in touch with us through our website at workrevolutionpodcast.com, or you can reach us through social media. We'd be happy to help you. And let's all do this together. Let's create the changes that we know are needed and that are going to bring life to our working lives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a review. And follow the Work Revolution podcast on Instagram for more great content and updates about our work. In addition to two full episodes a month, we have a monthly Ask Us Anything, where we answer your questions about leadership, career maneuvering, and whatever workplace challenges you're facing. Submit your questions to our website at workrevolutionpodcast.com, where you'll find all our episodes as well as learn more about who we are. Thanks to Bernie at Blue Eye Music for our music theme and to the team at Poditize for production support. Until next time.